Let's pray before the scripture reading. Dear God, we ask your Holy Spirit, as we read your word, that you would open our hearts for the message that you have for us. Amen. I'll read, the scripture reading today is Exodus 20, verse 17, and I'm reading from the December 2012 New Living Translation. If you want to follow, you may not have all the words, but please follow along with me. It says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, Mercedes-Benz or Audi. (laughs) You must not covet your neighbor's fitness or health. You must not covet your neighbor's vacation or holiday plans. You must not covet your neighbor's toys or dolls. Most importantly, you must not covet your neighbor's social media postings or following. You must not covet anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Amen. Um, Fantastic. Very, very well read indeed. All right. Well, these past 10 weeks, we've uh, delved into the commandments. And uh, my initial fear had been that uh, after the first or second commandments that we would all, that you would all get bored, you know, as we, you know, one by one uh, go down that list of, the, the list of Ten Commandments and, um, and hopefully that it's not been the case. You may have noticed that all the while as we've, you know, gone down the commandments one after the other, uh, that all the while we've painted a picture of the commandments, uh, which some of you may not have been accustomed to hearing. The commandments as a gently cascading waterfall, as it were. The commandments as grace coming down from above, drenching us, as it were, thoroughly for, for, healthy, for healthy relationships. We've characterized um, the first four commandments as um, vertical grace, That's the word that we've used, vertical grace. That is grace uh, God offers us for a healthy relationship with Him. Um, And the last six commandments we've characterized as horizontal grace. Grace God offers us for healthy relationships with people. In the back of my mind, as we, you know, went down um, the commandments one by one, in the back of my mind, I had thought all along about my own personal readings delving into uh, an area which is fascinating to me, uh, uh, fascinating to, to me, um, an area of reading um, which is, um, the, you know, into, into interpersonal neurobi- neurobiology or, or brain science, a fascinating experience for me. Um, and recent discoveries uh, telling us uh, in, in, in this field of study of brain science, telling us that our brain is actually hardwired for relationships. And it's constantly rewiring itself. Um, like a house that's always being uh, rebuilt and always being renovated like a book that's always being rewritten, perpetually rewritten. That's what our brain is doing, even as I speak, even as you sit there listening to the sermon today. Modern brain science seems to affirm what we've known all along, that we are indeed, by design, created as relational beings. 
And the old adage that says, no man is an island, is true in more ways than we, we, can, we have realized or imagined. Um, and that we mature, uh, uh, we, we mature in character, we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ only to the extent that we have healthy relationships with God, there's the, there, there's the, the, the vertical part, and with people, there's the, relation, uh, the, the horizontal part. And you know, the commandments seem to understand this. Albeit, you know, in, you know intrinsically, not, uh, not extrinsically. Um, it seems to understand that, um, that um, this and, and offers us a pathway, as it were, towards, towards character transformation. And this pathway takes us down the road of healthy relationships, which is what the commandments invite us to. But the question is, how do we have healthy relationships? Uh, by behavior modification? That's a good start, perhaps. At least we say, isn't this what we read in the commandments? I mean, go down the list of the commandments, and you will see that every single one of the commandments tells us how to behave before God and before people. And, you know, there they are before, before our very eyes. The very first commandment tells us, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from, from, the, from slavery in Egypt. And then, and then he goes down and says, do not worship or you must not worship any other gods but me. You must not make idols of any kind. And on down the list, all the way down to where we focus our attention today to the 10th commandment. You may have noticed, however, that in this series, we have not treated the commandments as simply a list of behavior that we must adhere to, even if behavior at the end of the day is important. We have not focused on behavior modification, however important this is, as the gateway towards healthy relationships. And why is this? It's for a good reason. Because behavior modification is only the tip of the iceberg. And a small tip at that. It is important for sure, but it, but, isn't it, but it isn't the most helpful place to start. Why? Because focusing on behavior modification leads to unhealthy striving, which inevitably leads to easy legalism. Just change your behavior and all will be well. Like perhaps this little boy. This story might be something that you were all familiar with. A little boy who yields to his mom's pressure to say sorry to his little sister for stealing her toy. And so the story goes, mom tells the boy, say sorry to your sister. And then the boy balks at that and says, I'm not really sorry. I'm not sorry. And then... The mom repeats her threat, say sorry or else. And the boy pouts and stares down his sister and his sister smelling victory sticks her tongue out and the mom does not see it. It infuriates the boy even more and he may have been, re he may have been ready to change his ways and to modify his behavior, but he isn't now, not after this. 
But then the mom repeats her threats a third time. Say sorry or else. And the boy realizes that he's in big trouble, modifies his behavior, even if internally nothing has changed. His motive is still the same, whatever that might be. His character lay untouched by his outward behavior modification. Focusing on behavior modification alone leaves out the crucial elements behavior do not see or does not see. The internal elements of motive and character, which an external reading of the commandments tend to overlook. And if we leave these internal elements unrecognized and, of course, unchanged, we are headed for tragedy. Changing our behavior will not avert that tragedy because what lie beneath the surface is just as crucial as what lie above the surface. You may have seen or um, heard about or read about the tragic story of the, uh, of the Titanic. The unsinkable Titanic was sunk by an iceberg and it was sunk by what was underneath beneath the surface. When the Titanic set sail over a century ago, climatizing, you know, many, um, several things converged, the circumstances converged that doomed that fatal, that fatal voyage, the maiden voyage of that unsinkable ship. Through a series of circumstances, including unheeded warnings of icebergs in its path, the Titanic sailed at top speed, unmindful that it was about to enter a minefield of icebergs. And that what was so threatening about those icebergs are the things, are what lie underneath or beneath the surface. I don't know if you've sailed through an iceberg before. And perhaps it is a lot easier for ships to avoid what they can see, the 10% that they can see, but not so much the 90% that it doesn't see. The Titanic set sail, and what was so deadly about its voyage was not so much the icebergs, what, you know, the 10% that it could see, but the, the 90% that, was, that, that, they, you know, that, they, that could not be seen that lie beneath the surface. And when the Titanic realized it had sailed right into a minefield of icebergs, it found itself unable to navigate across, to steer between those icebergs and what lie beneath. And while they avoided the part of the icebergs above water, the Titanic soon realized it was up against the 90% underneath. And they heard, and they heard the screeching sound of ice peeling across the side of the ship. Rivets start to pop and flooding ensued and the Titanic sunk in minutes. This is what happens when we don't pay attention to what lies beneath the surface and only think the commandments as a way, as a means of altering outward behavior without looking at the motives of the heart, without looking at the character, aligning itself 
with behavior. But where do we find? I mean, it's fine to talk about all these things, but the commandments, when you read, to take the commandments at its face value, and you will see that the commandments do indeed drive home the point of behavior. You shall not this, you shall not that. Eight out of the ten are, you know, have that at the very beginning of each command. You shall not do this, you shall not do that. And then the other two are just basically worded differently, but amounts to the same thing. Where do we find inspiration to read motives and character into the commandments? So that we can, we can go deep beneath the surface as we have done in this series. Well, we find it in Scripture. Where else? We find it, first of all, in the Psalms. In the Psalms, you find a reading and understanding of, of, of the commandments that is deep. In the Psalms, the ancient Hebrews, you see, did not separate motive and character with behavior. To them, it was all one and the same. But something happened in the history of God's people where behavior got cut off from the 90% beneath. From the, uh, from the motives of the heart and the character of the person. But, we, but, but that's not what we find. And for example, let me just lead you to Psalm 119. I didn't put it up here, but you can go. Let's go to your, go to your uh, own Bible. Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Because in this psalm, you will find, first of all, uh, you know, it's not very easy to see this in the, in the, um, in the English versions uh, that we have in front of us. But in the, in the Hebrew, uh, the Psalm 119 is an acrostic. What it does is this. Um, it goes through every single, every single, um, every single uh, uh, verse begins with the letter, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, you know, uh, what are the, the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet? Well, let me sing it to you and you'll remember it maybe. Aleph, Bet. Gimel dalet chevav zayin chetet yod kaf lamed mem nun samek ayin pe sade kof resh shin tav boom boom. <laughs> That's how we were taught in seminary. And so what Psalm 119 does is that it, it starts every single verse acrostically, you know, up, uh, down, down the alphabet. And and, what, and it does that, how many, how many letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet? 21, something like that. And it does it 21 times over. And that's why you have the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And here it keeps repeating that, that, that same theme of how pleasant it is to dwell in the commandments and to understand the commandments' depth and breadth and what it represents in the life of the Christian. And here's how it starts, just, you know, just quoting from the first few verses of it. It says, happier people of integrity who follow the law of the Lord. Happier those who obey his, his decrees and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your principles. That I will not be disgraced when I compare my life with your commands. Do you see the depth of understanding 
just from those few verses alone. No, the Old Testament Hebrews did not separate motive and character with behavior. They lumped them as one. But perhaps even more poignant than what we find in the Psalms is what is the Lord, is, 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 are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. When we go to Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount, um, especially in Matthew chapter 5, and, and that great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus time and again resists any reading of the commandment that skims the surface only, as we often do. Time and again, he tells us to go beneath the surface. That the commandments are a lot more spiritual than what we, than, than we're willing to, give, uh, to, to make it out to be. That the commandments are concerned not only with outward behavior, but also with one's inner character and one's motives that give rise to sinful behavior. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, 21 and 22 says these, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, there's the internalizing factor already where Jesus Christ is telling us, Go deeper. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment already. If you call someone an idiot, Lord have mercy, how many times have I? You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. When you say, who's able to keep the commandments? The trouble with the skimming the surface is that we think we can manage Sin by our behavior. When in fact sin is far more, uh, far deeper, far more insidious than meets the eye. And once again, Jesus Christ says in the same chapter, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is to say, Jesus Christ might as well have said, adultery in the head is just as bad as adultery in bed. There is no easy reading of the commandment. Jesus Christ would not allow us that luxury. Time and again, he tells us, our Lord tells us, go deeper. The law is a lot more spiritual. And the problem is not that the law is not that spiritual. The problem is that we are not spiritual enough. That the commandments are concerned not only with outward behavior, but also with one's inner character, motives, the things that nobody sees but God. So, for us Christians, interpretive lens it's not only found in Psalm 119 in the, in the beautiful Psalms. It's found in the words, the very words of our Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the interpretive lens we use. But where do we find such things in the, in the, commandments, in the commandments themselves? 
I mean, uh, just, just, I mean, if, if, you, if you just, and if you just zero in on the commandments and, and the words of the commandments, I mean, it, it really is, it keeps driving home the point, it seems like, at least, of behavior. So we ask ourselves the question, surely there must be an entry point in the commandment, a portal into Narnia, maybe, something like that, that lets us go deep where is it in the commandments? Where can we find it? The commandments on cursory reading deals with behavior. Somebody might say, it's very plain to see. And once again, eight, of, eight, eight out of the ten tells us, you must not. And the other two tell us pretty much the same thing. Remember to keep and honor your mom and dad. Where do we find this internalizing spirituality in the Ten Commandments itself. Well, you might have guessed, because it's the last one of the Ten, and that's what I'm here for, to preach today. It's found in the Tenth Commandment. The portal into the depths of disobedience is in the Tenth. And the 10th commandment binds all the commandments together. How do we know this? We know this from Paul, from the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul tells us that the 10th commandment has in its, in it, uh, in, in, within it the internalizing factor that binds the commandments into a united whole. And something which we often overlook. This is the internalizing factor that destroyed Paul's carefully constructed righteousness by outward behavior. And this is the internalizing factor that can also destroy our drive towards obedience by behavior modification. Where do we find that in Paul? In Romans chapter 7, here's what he says. Starting with verse 7 and going to verse 8 and then jumping on to the next verse, verse 9. Here's what Paul says. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never, and then here's what it says. He says, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. And sin, but sin, used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. There's the entry point. There's the portal into the depths of the commandments, into the spirituality of the commandments. It's found in the tenth. Paul says, you must not, uh, continues, he says, but sin used this command, this particular command, to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. It was through the 10th commandment that he saw the spirituality of the law, that the law is a lot more than just behavior modification, just skimming the surface of obedience. It was the 10th commandment that destroyed all his carefully crafted righteousness, self-righteousness. 
And then by verse 9, Paul says, At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. What do you covet? If covetousness is the entry point to understanding disobedience, we must ask ourselves that question. What do we covet? If the tenth commandment is the bookhand, I mean, serves as the bookhand for all the commandments, what is it that we covet? I brought up here. Let's see, where did I leave it? Two of my bookends. You know, these days, I, um, well, it's been a while now. It's been, uh, um, I have more bookends um, these days than I have books. There's a reason for that. I'll tell you what. Uh, In 2016, um, when I realized that, you know, when you, my church family, were so gracious as to accept us to be your new pastor, me as to be your, us to be as your new pastoral family, I decided, you know what? I have moved my books too much. I'm tired of it. I had tons of books. And, and, and so I decided, you know what? I'm going to turn all my books into PDF. And so I did. It took me almost a month of daily cutting up my books. And then, you know, I went and bought a... Um, I bought a, a, a document scanner. Cost me uh, an arm and a leg, but I was ready to sacrifice a little bit of you know money to not have to carry my books up here. I would have had tons of I mean, like scores of boxes uh, containing all my books, and I was just tired of doing it after moving. You know, as a pastor, pastoral family, we moved we moved a lot, and so here's what I did. I bought a, a document scanner. And then I bought a, um, yeah, I bought a cutter called the guillotine. It's actually called the guillotine. It's right there. And it can actually cut a, uh, a book 500 pages thick in one fell swoop. It actually could. And that's what I did. I started doing that. And, um, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's my, all my books. Most of my books, actually not all my books, most of my books ended up there. And then I remember posting, posting what I was doing on Facebook, and some of my friends got angry at me. What are you doing with your, your books? Why don't you just send them all to the Philippines? I said, sure, here, pick them up. Here they are. I said, uh, help yourself. That's what I did. And now all that's left of my books are the spines, which my wife collected and there's a few of them. Somebody actually, not, I mean, some, some time ago, one of our uh, church members, yeah, I'm not going to say who, but mildly chided me for not being emotionally in this church. Why? What makes you think that? Well, because you've never moved into your office. So why, what, what do you mean? Where are your books? I said, well, my books are in here. All of them. 
And now I must confess, I regretted doing what I did because now I missed some of my best books, especially the hardbound books. I remember my son, when he, when, when, when he saw what I was doing, actually said, Dad, you're not going to touch my books. You're not going to touch my books. Stay away from my books. Because my, my, you know, my son loves you know, the old-fashioned way of reading books. And I was just like going for you know, the expediency of just being able to carry my books wherever I go. One of my friends actually said, what happens when Sunday Law comes? I said, well, if Sunday Law comes, you won't be able to go back to your library anyway. And I might be able to you know, download everything on my phone and re- keep on reading. The point of this all is to highlight to you what I've just, I just said a while ago. That the Ten Commandments are far more than just skimming the surface. And the Tenth Commandment tells us that. The Tenth Commandment binds all of the, uh, the, nine, the, the nine commandments together. And tells us that it is the problem of covetousness. That is the problem of all of us. I have since changed my ways. And I have bought more books now. And I promise myself no more that, that I'm going to retire my guillotine. Um. And so now I'm slowly rebuilding my library <laughs> because I miss my hardbound books. I miss my hardbound books. And my bookends will have something to do in the near future. <laughs> the Tenth Commandment is unique among all the ten because it binds the nine together. It bookends them. Why? Because, you see, the the 10th commandment has no external form on its own. It is intrinsically only internal. And the only way the 10th commandment can be enacted is through the 9. How does one carry out a covetous spirit? Into outward behavior. Into outward action. By violating the nine. By replacing God with self-serving idols. That's number one. By stealing, by killing, by committing adultery. On down to commandment number nine. I did some bench reading. Um, I've been doing some bench reading in my spare time. And, and you know... Um, I may have bitten more than I can chew, but I, you know, these, these first couple times, at least I uh, was successful. I binge, binge read Pride and Prejudice, 500-page binge reading. And, you know, when, when I found out that when you read something as thick as that kind of a book, you can't just read 10 minutes a day. You won't finish. You, you get frustrated and, and you just give it up. And so I would stay up in the wee hours of the morning. And while, while my, my wife is sleeping, I would be, you know, just covered with, hooded, with my hoodie. And I would just be right there. And I'll, oh, okay, what's Darcy going to do next? 
<laughs> and what's Elizabeth Bennett going to do next? And, and, and so on. And I, I finished it in three weeks. And, and then, uh, not satisfied with that, I went on and I did Gone with the Wind, Margaret Mitchell's epic saga of, you know, the, uh, the uh, Civil War saga of Gone with the Wind and Scarlett O'Hara and, and Scarlett O'Hara's fixation with, with um, oh, what's his name? Ashley Wilkes coveted him since she was just a child. Wanted him. Could not get him for, you know, for all the reasons in the world. Could not get him. And then finally, at the very end, chapter 66, I believe it was, finally, and I hated, I hated Margaret Mitchell for you know, dragging me all across 66 chapters only to tell me what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen because I've watched the movie, but you know, nothing, it's, it's, not, it's really different when you're, when, you're, when you're reading the book. Nothing, nothing replaces reading the book. And so he dra- she drags me all across those chapters only to find out that at the very last chapter, whatever chapter it is, uh, chapter 66, I think it, it is, and finally, finally, all of these, all of, all of uh, um, Scarlett O'Hara's sins, and worst of all is coveting a man who is already married to someone else. In her head, And she finally realizes that it is not Ashley she loved. But finally she realizes that she loved her husband after all, Rhett Butler. But that her fixation for Ashley Wilkes has all but killed her husband's love for her. And then of course you've all, how can we all forget if we've watched the the, the movie when Rhett Butler finally says, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a hoot. (laughs) It's a reminder to all of us that behavior will not cut it. And that all our semblance of righteousness means nothing. Because at the end of the day, when we focus on behavior modification, we will have found at the end of each day, if we're serious with ourselves, We cannot manage sin. Sin will manage us. And at the point of the the 10th commandment, the point of all of the commandments is simply this. God wants us to plumb the depths of disobedience so we do not fall into legalism by evading our own sinfulness and complete dependence on His grace. Only in this way can we have a truly healthy relationship with God and with people. So plumb the depth. Don't be scared. Because if you find yourself wanting, as I know you will, because sin, sin is universal. Don't feel badly about yourself. If you find yourself guilty by your own internalizing at you, seeing yourself Beneath the surface, don't be, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be too hard on yourself. Guess what? 100% of all, the rest of us are on this, in the same boat with you. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. But there is grace. 
And there is forgiveness, which is where the law points us to, to Jesus Christ, who alone gives us all the forgiveness that we don't deserve. And this is the basis for healthy relationship with God and healthy relationship with those people seated beside you and beyond. May the Lord bless you, and I pray that the, this series has been a blessing to you through and through. Thank you that uh, in this season of joy, we can reminisce, we can remember um, that we have all the reasons to rejoice because Jesus Christ has already come and he has been born as a human being and to this world. He's lived his life. He's died and he's been resurrected from the dead and he's coming back. Father God, we thank you that it is through this power of the resurrected Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are able to obey and that from our motives, from our hearts and in our characters, oh God, we may be united with you and behaving as you would want us to. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.